We welcome you to the Romantic Truth Podcast. The content of this podcast is intended for an adult audience due to the nature of sensitive subject matter and topics. Share the experience of Romantic Truth with friends on Google, CastBox, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Radio Public, Breakers, Apple, or any other podcast platform. Just type in Romantic Truth in the search and subscribe. Now, here is the host of Romantic Truth, Jowson. Hi everyone, Jowson with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Let's deal with what's going on in the mailbag today. Ah, man, here we go. Oh boy, here we go. Uh, I'm going to read it. My name is Keisha. I'm from Atlanta. I'm 27 years of age. I'm African American. I've done all the right things, so I thought. Graduated from Clark University in Atlanta. Thought things were really opening up for me until I met him. If you happen to read this on your podcast, make sure that people know that men are out there to use women. And when I say this, I mean use them with a capital U. I'm a victim. Yes, I call myself a victim because that's what I am. This guy came from Los Angeles and he was pretty dapper. He was somebody that I was really interested in made a good impression I decided to come out to visit him for two weeks met him online came to see me everything seemed to be pretty good I moved to Los Angeles for two weeks just to kick it with him nice home nice car he had a nice career he worked in the music industry so I thought everything seemed to be pristine Well, we knew that we couldn't maintain a relationship between Atlanta and Los Angeles. So he encouraged me to move to LA. Temporarily, I still had my lease on my apartment, so I packed up things and told my sister to take care of my place. Moved to LA, things were really popping for us. He was taking me out to the nicest clubs, restaurants. We had a wonderful time together. I thought I was in heaven. He had a nice place in Orange County. We're down there on the beach. And it just was heaven. At least that's the way it was this past summer. I had to return back home in order to clear a few things up and maybe move some things to California. Just before I got ready to move, I had broken my lease, paid the balance, He tells me things have changed for him financially. I could understand with him because of COVID that things probably had changed because we were really doing pretty well out there at that particular time. He asked me not to come out. Instead, he wanted to move to Atlanta. I went to the rental office, talked to my leasing agent, and we extended the lease. Resumed everything that was going on and I extended it for another year. He moves out here and oh my God, 
that's when the problem started. All of the things that he quote unquote had in LA, had in Orange County, was all a facade. He was never a music producer. The place he was living in, huh, he was housekeeping for some white folks. He had nothing. I literally had to put clothes on his back, food in his stomach, and let him use my car in order to find a job. He found one all right, a manager at the fast food restaurant. Personally, I thought I could do better. My family met them, and when she met them, my mother said, no. My dad looked at him, looked at me, and I could see that peer of disappointment in his eyes. I told him he had to go. He said, fine. He packed up, moved back to California. Recently, he wrote me back, telling me to come out to Cali. He's got things on lock. Foolishly, I flew back out to California. What I found was a man that was living off a woman who had lied to her and said that I was his sister. Fortunately for me, I'm so glad I checked into a hotel. I lived better as a visitor in Los Angeles than he did as a resident. The woman was obese, didn't speak proper English, and I could tell she ran the household. I got back on the flight, came back to Atlanta, and so far, things have been going pretty well, at least until today. My doorbell rang earlier this morning. He was there with the suitcase, tears in his eyes, begging me to take him in. I slammed the door. I couldn't do it again. Am I wrong for feeling this way? Keisha, Atlanta, Georgia. Keisha, you're not. Um, you know, you have avoided a headache, believe it or not. He's an LA catcher. These are most common in California, especially Southern Cal. What they do is they like to go down south and harvest women that don't know any better, who have the ability to work in a pretty decent job. Because what these guys do is they get these women from the south from the East Coast, from places where many women would like to come to California, get them out there, and when they get them out there, they want them to work and pay the bills while they go out and pursue acting careers, movie careers, singing careers, you name it. So, you've avoided a bullet. This guy had no intention of working. And you run across guys like this. But yet, these are the same people that would write back home and tell them they're doing very well or they'll, you know, get on Facebook and, you know, try to floss. He has nothing. He had nothing before you came there. He has nothing now to offer you. You did the right thing. Plain and simple. No ifs, ands, and buts. Don't feel guilty. 
You gave him several chances to improve. He didn't want to. And you run across this a lot. There was a lady that uh, wrote me who came to California. She met this guy on Facebook. He had all of these things going on, supposedly. She got to California. The only thing this guy had was just ice water. The place he lived in, he had four roommates. His rent was $250 a month. And he was paying the least amount because he made the least amount of money. He had no car. He had to rent a car. So he impressed this lady with this. He checked into a hotel that was on the swanky side of town. Being that she was only going to be there Friday, Saturday, and leave Sunday, he saved up all his money to rent the room. This, of course, made an issue with the roommates because they're like, look, we have you paying reduced rent and you're going to save your money to go and splurge like that. All of the cars, the things that he was showing off on Facebook belonged to his roommates, not to him. So this is a common thing. And you have people who never make it but want to, you know, project the impression that they've made it. And it's a tough nut to crack for some people. You know, they don't put forth any effort, but what they want is the benefit, the reward. I tell you ladies all the time, men will do anything in order to impress you. They will lie to you. Many of you know this. They will deceive you. They will do anything they can in order to make themselves look good in front of you. They'll get in a fight with another dude that they know they can't beat just so that they'll get your attention. This is what the people with low self-esteem do. A real man, he would have told you straight up, Keisha, hey, look, I'm barely making it. Now, he was afraid that he would be rejected. That's the reason why most men lie to you. In general, ladies, they're afraid of that rejection. Some of them don't like it. They're very gun-shy and timid. Working in this industry, in broadcasting, you have to have tough skin. Because if you don't, when I was in financial services, I had to have it there. IT, same thing. And the reason why you have to have it is because you're going to always run across resistance, ardent resistance. People that don't like your opinion, don't like you. And some guys are very have a soft underbelly when it comes to that. Especially if they've been coddled by mommy. They get to a point where telling them no, they're crying and they're going off about it. Because they're not used to being told no. They're not used to being told you're not up to par. Now, don't get it twisted. Women, some women think that way too when they're not up to par. The guy's a jerk. But see, the thing is, society empathizes with a woman more so than they do with a man. So, a woman that's not up to par, that has six kids, no education, and looking for a man to take care of her, if a man rejects her, she can get a consensus of women to say, oh, he's mean, he's a jerk. 
because he didn't let this woman with these six kids use him. But when a man gets to a point where he's coming in there with nothing, naturally, most women are not even going to accept him. And so he can't go to a consensus of men and say that she's, a, you know, she's really messed up. She didn't take care of me. She didn't help me. So men don't have that option. Women do. We always talk about double standards, but we never look at that double standard either. Now, there are some women that will take in men and help them out and get them on their feet and things will work out. But it's rare. But it does happen. And some men only need that break where they had a place to lay their head where they can go out and work their asses off. But some women don't even give them that opportunity. But yet, they'll wind up with a guy that <laughs> he ain't gonna do shit no matter how many times you let him lay his head on your pillows. So, that's a crapshoot that you deal with. All right, let's see what else we have here. My name is Ronald. Please don't use too much of my personal information. The name Ronald is not my real name. It's the name that I'm using. And if you happen to use this on your show, please just use Ronald only. I graduated from USC. I'm 27 years of age. And I have tried for the life of me to meet a decent woman. I've tried black women. I get the attitude. I get the thing where if I don't have a child, I'm not a real man. And I got sick of dealing with that. The sophisticated black women don't want to have anything to do with me. Many of them are looking for white men and lighter-skinned guys. I'm a dark-skinned dude. And I've had to face this reality all my life, being discriminated against by my own people because of my skin color. I live over in Lamert Park. So you know about that neighborhood, I'm sure, if you live in Los Angeles. The problem I'm having now, though, is that even with the white women that I date, I find them looking at me as more or less a novelty instead of someone that they could really love. Oh, I've had sex with them plenty of times, but not enough where they would look at me as someone they would take seriously for a relationship. I'll admit I'm not the most handsome guy in the world, so I expected that. Hispanic women, a lot of times, if I don't speak Spanish, I'm left out. A friend of mine that listens to your show turned me on to you about two weeks ago. And he had a person that he was seeing out in West Hollywood. He's a straight black male like myself. He asked me to come out there with him one weekend, which I did. I met his girlfriend, who's a trans woman, and she introduced me to this Hispanic trans woman. I must say, I was impressed. I'm not into any kind of men or anything like that, but we had a wonderful conversation together. I started coming over to her place, she started coming to mine, and we just kicked it. She had not one masculine quality If anyone would see her, they'd think right off the bat, female, no doubt about it. I started getting some ridicule from sisters when I would go to different restaurants with her. Why are you not with somebody in your own race? What does she have I don't have? 
Got a lot of that. Well, she told me it's about time for me to move out of this neighborhood. So we're going to be moving in together in North Hollywood. Be closer to my job, and then I don't have to deal with this foolishness. But never in a million years that I thought that it would come down to where I would find someone who loved me like I loved them. It's weird, because I had no intentions of being with someone that was born the same gender as I was. But I can truly say this is the first time I'm actually genuinely happy. And I was so thankful that she didn't have that voice like you hear some of those, whoa, I don't say that word, use all the time. In any case, I do like your show, and I will be listening, and I will spread the word. Don't judge me for the choice I made, because as I said, it was the best choice I could have made, being the options that I had at my disposal. She and I are together. We love each other. And I think it's going to work out. She has family in Mexico that are very supportive. I will be going down there to visit them later on this year. All right, Ronald. Well, you know, this is the end result. And um, I will tell you, this is not an isolated incident. I've gotten about five of these so far since I had the show, of men who are frustrated, and some have gone to trans women, others have gone overseas, others have gone MGTOW, and this is what I'm talking about in this particular uh, episode. It has to do with people that are improvising, since they can't find that other person. And in this case, this is what he's chosen to do. And apparently he's happy. Sent me a picture of them. And I will tell you, they just look like a normal couple. This person that he's with is not over the top. Looks like a regular Hispanic woman. If you were to go in any part of Los Angeles, this person would look like someone that you would just see on the street that would be very attractive, but not so to the point of, you know, the overtop wigs or anything like that. This is where these guys are going, ladies, no matter what race they are. This is what's happening. Many of you women are out there with these superficial standards, trying to act like you're all that, and you're missing out. And you're wondering why these men are going for other venues. They're doing this because they're tired. They're tired of running across the woman who let a guy that wasn't about shit run through you. And then you're going to raise the standards and expect to find that million dollar man to come along and take care of you. And this is the result. This is what you get. You wonder why many of these men wind up going this way, especially now with these younger, feminine men. A lot of them are doing that because at least with these people, they're starting to realize that there is a support mechanism for it. 
while the biological women are going out here taking on this hyper-masculine role, a lot of these men are still looking for femininity in women. Even the guys that are totally straight and don't mess around with trans women. I will tell you, as a straight, heterosexual male, I look for a feminine woman. If I can't find her here in the United States, I will go overseas to find her. But I'm not going to waste my time waiting to find one, trying to rifle through all of these people that are posturing like they're a man. It's not worth it. I tell guys all the time, if you find it difficult here, go to the Philippines, go to Brazil. You don't have to deal with this. Plain and simple. Because the problem you have when these women go on these YouTube channels and talk about all the things they're looking for. Like the one lady, she was on her YouTube channel talking about all these qualifications. She had 20 qualifications the man had to measure up to. Income, all kinds of stuff, right? Even down to his hairline. And as she's doing this, you're hearing the damn fire alarm thing chirp in the background. You're hearing the kids crying and yelling at each other in the background. She went, took her camera into, took her phone into the bathroom where she's still carrying on the conversation. And you see a dildo on the damn toilet seat in the back, on top of the uh, back portion of the toilet seat. Nobody wanted to see that shit. Nobody wanted to deal with that. And the bathroom was horrible. And yet, she's got all these requirements for men. He's got to be college educated, and she's breaking every verb known to man. Asking for something she doesn't have herself. This is the reason why these guys are making this exodus. I'm just telling you what's happening. Don't kill the messenger. Kill the message. Do something about the message. Because this is what's happening to them. These guys that have just refused to deal with women altogether don't think they deal with a prostitute. You have that segment of male society going along. I went to one group. These women were talking about starting a polygamous group. And what they were going to do was find a weak man that they could control to be the head of that group. Because, see, one thing you have to realize with some of these groups, they're actually looking for a weaker man that they can control who is not going to bring someone younger into that group in order to upset the apple cart. And many of these women are in their 20s, late 20s, 30s, 40s even, and they have multiple kids, and they don't want to be alone. These are women that made poor choices earlier in their lives, and now they want to go and seek revenge in some sort of way. I will tell many of you ladies that are thinking about polygyny, that guy at some point is going to bring a younger woman in there who has no children, who he could see a future with, and who he will empower to be over you. 
because eventually as you guys go away because you realize that you're not getting what you wanted out of the relationship from the man he's going to focus and once he sees that he can bring a younger woman in his confidence is going to build and guess what he's going to do bring other younger women in and you're going to be a veteran class of women that he probably won't touch anymore but here's the strategy from some of them from what I've listened to many of the groups they get the man in there and then they procreate with him in order to anchor him into those relationships so he may have five or six women and have children with all these women and that's their security that he's not going to go anywhere guys if you find yourselves in these types of relationships my my advice to you is not to have any children with any of these women only get involved with them if their tubes are tied and is no way they could prove it because you want to have that option always leave yourself an option to get out of a situation whether you're a man or a woman many people go in relationships without that you got to have that option because remember at the end of the day if that person's trying to save themselves they don't give a damn about you i don't care how much you love them but we don't think we don't think like that because we think that it's a harmonious thing and sometimes it is where things work out perfectly and you have to go and work with each other like you do in any normal relationship but there are other times where you're going to have to start looking out for yourself as well now in closing this is what i would tell you there are also some of you ladies out there who are lonely for men and many of you single moms are out there making love to each other roommates living with each other because you want that emotion that emotional void addressed understand i get it you don't call yourself lesbians you don't call yourself homosexual bisexual nothing like that but you're doing this at a time until you can find a man in your life and then you split and go your separate ways. I've run across many of women like this and here in Vegas. So it's something that we'll talk about in more detail in the next segment. Now, we talk about improvisation when we're by ourselves, right? Some of people masturbate. Other people divert their sexual energy through working out at the gym, exercising. It varies. Some people have friends with benefits relationship just to cope with the situation until they can get with someone else. Others wind up with roommates or with friends that they wind up sleeping with. is not uncommon. The incident that took place back east where the two single mothers decided to go to the strip club 
and left the kids at home. And unfortunately, the apartment burned down, and one of the kids was a fatality. And these two women are blaming each other. Then it came out that they were lovers. Well, they were lovers because there was no man in the home to be responsible. And these women said, well, since no one can love us, we'll love each other. And see, women don't get ostracized as much socially for being with another woman. Of course, men, if you do that, then God help you, you, you're the worst thing on earth. So, what this means then, another double standard, by the way. What this means then is that it comes down to, as men, we're not threatened when a woman says she's bisexual. And many women are using that as a marketing tool for themselves and it's working because when a man sees that the first thing he's thinking oh there's a good possibility I could have a threesome with her and another woman and so a lot of these women even if they're not bisexual are using that designation some are using pansexual now here's the thing with many of these designations that have been newly designated. Nothing new about this because we've gone through all kinds of different changes with uh, our social identification in order to be recognized, in order to be pronounced. But what has happened now, it's gotten to a point where anyone can say what they want to be in order to make themselves stand out and be unique. I will tell you this. I personally, when I see a designation of sexual orientation and this woman has like 50 different things down there I'm swiping left I don't want to be bothered with someone that's confused because if they're confused about their sexuality they're confused about life in general another thing too you'll see them say something like pansexual etc etc every pansexual woman I've met looked at it from the standpoint of if it's someone that she sought after and if that person's interested in her she'd have sex with them whether they're man, woman, transgender doesn't matter so my whole thing is this even if you're in a relationship with this person what's the level of commitment that you would have are they committed more to their sexuality or sexual orientation than they are to you in that relationship. And this is what you have to decipher. Because what this actually denotes to many men, for the most part, is that you're confused. And when we see this, that's the last person we can really trust with integrity and trust in a relationship. The last thing we want is a confused person. You can ask any man this. If you're on a job, that guy that's not too sure of himself and that's fostering doubt or that has this thing where he's not committed to whatever the task is most men are not going to have him around you could play a basketball game if you got this guy that doesn't have confidence and lacks certain qualities they're not going to bring him on the team they're going to let him sit the bench because he's a liability on the court and this is the way we look at people that are confused like that. Because as men, we're more direct. It's either yes or no, binary. 
And you see a lot of women talk about their non-binary. People talk about their non-binary. The way we look at it, you can't make a decision. You're confused. And this works to your disadvantage with men, especially if you're female. Because it's like for us, we're like, well, we'll do what we can with you, but we're not going to really invest any money in you. We're not going to really invest any time with you because right now you're not sure of yourself and we're not sure of you. It's just like an investor on the stock market. If a stock is acting erratic, guess what investors are going to do? Not invest. They're going to wait until it's stabilized. It's the same thing that happens when a company is going to invest in another country. Take, for instance, a U.S. US company was going to invest in China. We'll say Walmart. Well, if China didn't have a stable government, which they have, even though we may not like the form of government they have, their government is stable. We don't have to worry about an overthrow overnight. We don't have to worry about a coup. So what do we do? We invest in countries like that. That's the reason why people invest in countries like the United States. And it's the same thing when it comes down to a person. If we perceive them as unstable, and we're talking about emotionally unstable, we're not dealing with it. We just don't deal with it. We walk away from it. Some of you ladies have run across emotionally unstable men. You get into an altercation or an argument with them, and then before you know it, his voice is as high as yours. And he's reacting just like a female would because he grew up in a female household. And that's all he knew was to react that way. And this right here is the byproduct of many women in the 90s saying that they can do it without a man. Just like in that one forum I attended where these women were talking about how they did not need a man to raise their children. And as one girl said, the only thing I needed a man to do was to impregnate me, and that was it. I'll take care of the rest. And yet, in the same breath, she was complaining because her son grew up and wants to be a woman. And she didn't understand why. She went on to say, well, you know, I treat my daughters the same way I treated him. That's why she made a mistake. You see, here's the thing. Men, we are expendable. You know, just like women in the Philippines feel as though they're expendable because there's such an abundance of them compared to men. Or here in the United States, being that there are more men, we feel expendable. Women have more choices. So therefore, fewer of us are selected by these women. Doesn't mean we have to die and just fade into the woodwork. You know, it's not like they're Cornish hens and we are the roosters and we wind up being made out of sausage while they are put on the plates during the holidays as a delicacy. There are other places in the world that have a need for us. You look at China. China has an overpopulation of women dying for American men. Same thing in certain parts of Europe, Russia, Brazil, Philippines, Indonesia. 
and many of them are not trying to come here to the United States. They're okay where they are. Women in Africa, same thing. Kenya has an abundance of women. South Africa, same thing. But you got to look at the political environment in these countries. Is it stable? And some, not so much. So with that, you won't take that risk. Not too many people would date people in Haiti right now because of the political instability. So you have to really look at things from a practical standpoint. And American women have to learn. They're not the only game in town. They're just part of the game. Being that we're dealing with a global economy and situation now, we can travel. We can do things. That money that we would spend on you to buy you gifts like a $1,600 bag, we could take that same $1,600, fly to another country, have money left over, find someone that really cares about us, and have a wonderful life with that person. While you're sitting there with that bag asking for other things, we could have that person that we're with and who's not asking to live so lavishly and have a decent existence, a decent relationship. That's the distinction. Guys are waking up now, and they're realizing why invest in a woman who's trying to gain a status from poverty or trying to distance herself from it when he can meet someone who is poor in some cases, and she will appreciate it a lot more. And she would not only do that, she would be better at utilizing funds. I'm just telling you the way it is, folks. People don't want to hear this. But what has happened now, many women in these ethnic markets in the United States, and even in the conventional market, mainstream market, have priced themselves out of the market. They're asking for too many things at a point where the economy's tight, you got, you got inflation coming up, and men are now looking for the best investment they can find in a woman. And the guys that are actually with the money that are blowing on these women, many of these women don't want the guys, they want his money. If you're going to be exploited, fellas, let me tell you something. It's best to be exploited by the youngest and finest thing you can find. Not someone who feels as though they're entitled with a whole bunch of kids. Now, if you find a decent woman that is practical in her thinking and that uses critical thinking skills, she will, you will find that this woman will be the best asset you ever have. And you can very well find her here in the States, but it's very difficult because you have a lot of followers here. You know, it's like there are these lemmings just walking off this cliff and you're sitting back and you're just watching just hundreds of them fall off the cliff. They're following the same playbook. They even use the same vernacular. They have the same mindset. And it leads 
nowhere. You know, I always go back to the lady that was uh, that accused Brian Banks of uh, rape. She was a millionaire. I think school district paid over $2 million. What advancements were made? Did she move out of the area? Did she capitalize on the money? Nope. I still said never broke. And this is what I mean. Many of these women that are seeking wealth, I would tell you, fellas, if they got it, many of them will be broke in no time. I've seen that happen. A woman married a man one time. They had a poof clause in their marriage contract after five years. She'd walk away with three and a half million dollars. So she did. She was bankrupt within the first two years. She was one of our clients, and I worked in financial services. Another lady was left with $8 million, lost her ass within the first five years. She got swindled out of her money by another guy. See, the thing is, they want the fame, notoriety, and glamour of the money, but many of them don't know how to manage it. Many of them have no idea. They want something that they grew up thinking that they sought so much. This is the reason why we used to see so many lottery winners go bankrupt. We used to see so many people who would get inheritances go bankrupt. Because, see, the problem with poor people, and when I say poor, I'm not talking about just you financially. I'm talking about you mentally. You're emotional. You let your emotional poverty take over. And that emotional poverty leads you to try to help everybody. The very people that will not help you once they get on their feet. You look at Freeway Ricky, the drug dealer back in the day. All the people he helped, all the money he gave the people. When he got out of prison, he didn't have nothing. He had to start over again. You look at what MC Hammer did with his folks. Help people out that didn't deserve help and what happened. Muhammad Ali stayed in the ring, not for himself, not for his own self-aggrandizement. Stayed in the ring longer than he should have because he was helping people out that, that had gone through their money. What I'm telling you folks is the sacrifice isn't worth it. If you make it out, and a lot of these rappers and singers get criticized for leaving the hood. If the hood made you wealthy, that's on them. You take that and you go. What do you think a lot of these pro-black activists are doing? This is exactly what they're doing. Feed off your emotions, make their money, and leave you with your poverty. That's what it's about for them. You're going to find that that gold that you, many of you will spend a whole life trying to seek, 
that wealth, that money, that fame, that notoriety, that attention is not going to be worth a tinker's damn. Because even after you get it, inside you, the person you are is dysfunctional. And you're thinking that this is going to be the cure-all for you. The only thing money is, is a comfort tool. That's it. It's not a God. It's not a panacea. It's not something that's going to make you a better person. And you think people are going to put you on a pedestal. The only thing you have to concern yourself with is when you get the money, there'll just be more people trying to get it from you. And they're going to come under the cloak of being your friend, being your confidant. And all of that's going to fade very quickly as soon as they get what they want. And there are others that are deliberately coming to you so that they can bring you back to where they are. How dare you be that crab that climbs over me and get out of this barrel. Let me just grab your leg with my claw and pull you back down. It's reminiscent of that woman that wanted to kill herself and her kids and drove off this bridge. And the kids were trying to get out of the car and they drowned. The mother was drowning. The oldest son was able to swim out of the back window of the vehicle and she reached for his foot to try to bring him down with her. And he kicked her away and he was the only survivor. This is what you have to really concern yourselves with. Because what you have to remember is, yes, you'll have that notoriety and that fame. But you're going to also realize you're going to be isolated. And you're going to start to realize that there are going to be more people coming after you for what you have than for who you are. You're only important to yourself with this money. As they see it, you're just another person that they need to come towards in order to get what they want. I can't explain it to you in any other kind of way. When I was with Monica, oh my God, the friends that I had, the people that wanted, oh, uh, what, 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 can we go to her birthday party? No. Because what it was about, it was about them social climbing. And of course, they said, oh, you're being bushy, you're being stuck up. No, I'm being realistic. Because I know what your agenda is. And this is the way they operate. Like I said before, that interview that Stephanie Mills gave on that one show, she was absolutely correct. Those people are not your friends. They're there to get what they can get. And once they've gotten as much as they can get from you, you're left with the core people that are going to be around you who are going to be more than likely your mom, your dad, and that's it. Even some of those best and close friends you've had, they're going to try to do you in because people change when money is involved. When they can see that them, they can see themselves capitalizing off of you and benefiting from you, you become a commodity and not a friend. That's the way it works. 
that's the way it works. When you get involved in these relationships and it's based on financial matters, it doesn't change. You can't pay someone to love you. What you're paying for them to do is just to be with you and placate you until they get what they want from you. That's it. And the minute you get in some financial turbulence, they're not going down with you. They're going to do just like that young fella did that swam out of that car. They're going for their own survival. And even if you were to make it out and you were not where you were before in status and money, you think they're going to look back and say, oh, let me help you like you helped me. No, they're not. So in many communities, you have this guilt factor where you made it, now you need to give back. That old thing that they try to put on you, that pity thing, because they're used to the government doing the same thing for them. They feel as though because you're a celebrity or you're somebody with money, you should do the same thing like the government. And this is where I have a problem with the Democratic Party, because they've gotten a lot of minorities in that mindset of being taken care of by a larger entity and enterprise and selling their souls in order to get those benefits and those rewards. Something you really need to think about, folks. It's pathetic and it's sickening. All right, let's go into the mailbag, and we have an email from Jonathan. First of all, let me just say that I'm not gay. I don't have any tendencies towards any man whatsoever. Something happened recently that really changed my life. I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to put it, but I'm with a trans woman now. Before you make any judgments on me, let me just tell you how things transpired. No pun intended, LOL. I'm a black man. I graduated from a good university. I lived in the Los Angeles area and I have been seeking a black woman high and low for years. One that would like me and love me for who I was, but not for what I had. The only thing I found was a whole bunch of women that had a yucky mouth to say the least and knew nothing beyond the scope of money. That's all they talked about. What this cost, what designer label they were wearing. I got tired of being cut down by black women. Had to deal with that all my life. I'm a dark-skinned brother, and so you know how that is for us in the hood. We never get respect. The white girls only wanted me for my big dick. That was it. The Hispanic girls, they only wanted me for the same thing. A friend of mine that listens to your show told me to tune in one time and I did to one of your shows. I eventually went up to West Hollywood with him. He dates a trans woman. And when I got there, I was impressed, especially with her friend. 
Her friend was Hispanic. I could not find a masculine feature on her. Yeah, she still had her member, but she looked pretty damn good to me. I've enclosed the photo of the two of us together. You make your own judgment. In any case, she was everything I wanted when it came down to personality, when it came down to sense of humor, and she didn't have that fucked up voice that you hear so many of these trans women try to imitate. She actually sounds like a woman, and I really appreciated that. Very passable to say the least. She and I have now been dating for the last six months. I haven't been happier in my life. I've dated women before, but not a woman with a personality like this. Even though she wasn't born a woman, I'm content with the person I have in my life. A lot of people don't even know she's trans. My family has no idea. She was upfront with me and told me straight up she was a trans woman. I accepted that and I love her and I will always love her because she was honest with me. I know there are a lot of brothers that may not understand the situation that I'm dealing with, but at some point you'll realize that having somebody to love you back is very important in life. I never had that. My parents used to always criticize me. I got the whole black treatment. You know how that goes. You got big eyes, you look like your fucking daddy, etc., etc. Went through all of that. The black women were even worse. Now I really have found the person that I wanted to be with. I never expected in a million years that it would be a trans woman. But now that it is, I accept it gladly. All right. Uh, I'm happy for you, sir. You know, it happens for people different ways. And like I always told you, the packaging is less relevant than the content. I personally only like biological women. There's a reason for that. I like the way a woman's vagina is made. I love playing with it. I love her breasts that are natural, especially if they have milk in them. That's right, I'll put some Nestle quick with that and boil, well anyway, what I'm saying is, it's fun. I love the scent of a woman. I love the touch, the feel of her, she's soft. I'm not dealing with no hard ass woman. I'm not dealing with some woman that got that raspy ass voice from smoking so much weed. I'm not dealing with that damn woman that's got that, that scaly ass rusty skin that's trying to be a man. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't want to deal with that. A totally feminine female. Now, the picture that this gentleman sent, it's really interesting. The woman that he's with, the trans woman that he's with, looks like any woman that you will see anywhere in Los Angeles or anywhere else in the city. Nothing over the top, no big flamboyant ass wigs, no loud colors. She looks like a conservative Latina that you would see 
working at a county building or a state building or somewhere like that. But this is what he chose to have as his partner. He's happy. I don't have a problem with a person pursuing their happiness. I'm not sitting here saying, you're a black man, you need to be with a black woman, biological black woman. Who am I to make that judgment? I'm not the gatekeeper of people. Love who you love, when you love, and how you love. That's the main thing. I like women with large breasts because I love to put their titty over my eye. I haven't figured that out yet. But that's just me. And I tell you what does hurt. Fellas, don't put your head in between a woman's breasts and let her slap her breasts against your ears. That is not a good feeling. It makes you forget a lot of things. But the main thing you have to keep in mind, too, is that it's about being happy. It's about enjoying your partner. Whomever they are, whoever you decide to be with. But the one thing to keep in mind just like he made a decision to be with this trans woman, she made a decision to be with him. This is what it comes down to. Making those decisions in relationships, whether you're straight, whether you're bi, whether you're gay, whether you're crazy, whether you're sane, whether you're insane, doesn't matter whether a person's older, younger, fatter, you name it. But being that person that's on the fence that's kind of conditional, you don't know what the hell you're dealing with. There was a lady that wrote me out of Utah. She met a guy in Nevada, not too far from here in Vegas. He was black, she was white. And she was deathly afraid of dating him. But she liked him. When she came to Vegas, she met him. And she really liked this guy. But she's afraid because she's heard all the stereotypes. She's watched all the TV and she is fearful. And so what she tells him is that we can chat. We can video chat. We can talk online. We could call on the phone. But when it comes down to another personal meeting, I'm not ready yet. because she has those latent fears. Now, there are some people that have legitimate concerns. I'll put it to you this way. This way. When my father and I were assaulted by those white guys in the truck when I was five years old, I could have formed a very, very dark opinion about white people in general. But it was very hard for me to do that when coming out of the drugstore, my mother screamed and there was an older white pharmacist with a double barrel shotgun getting those guys to leave us alone. And the man came over and apologized for the behavior of those other folks. And he wanted me to understand that all white people weren't bad. Well, I kind of knew that because my Aunt Kathy, who was a former nun, 
was not like that, and she was white from Chicago. Very wonderful lady. And so I realized, okay, there's some people in every group that's bad. So I just couldn't blame white people for being bad. The same thing goes true with any other group. But what the lady in Utah is doing is she's basing it on an impression that she received from the media. And in every group, you're going to have that percentage, that 10 percentage that's bad. That's the way it goes. You're going to have your miscreants and your reprobates. You can always have those. Even when Hitler had Germany, and Germany was supposed to be so quote-unquote racially pure, right? You had miscreants and reprobates there. Started with the government itself. And it's funny how they talk about how great Germany was during that period, even though their economy was driven into the dirt based on money Germany didn't have to build things, such as their military. But then again, that was the second downturn in their economy. The first, of course, after World War I, after signing the Treaty of Versailles, Germany was bankrupt at that point. And they waited for Messiah Hitler comes along and fills them up with these dreams. And in actuality, he made the situation even worse for them financially after the war, they realized. Gave him a placebo. What you have to remember, folks, is this. There are some people that will blow smoke up your ass for any kind of relationship to get what they want from you. They will patronize you. They will have conditional love. A lot of women look for unconditional love. That's the reason why a lot of these young ladies go out and have babies at an early age. Well, the man doesn't love me unconditionally, but the child will. The child will be devoted to me for the rest of their lives. And that's the reason why when these women turn 38 and 39 after having a kid when they were 15, and that kid leaves home, she feels lost. She feels betrayed. Because you're supposed to be with me for the rest of my life. because they didn't find love from their parents before they had those children. They didn't get it. And that's what it comes down to. I'll never forget, a lady told me one time that she rarely saw men in her house because they would come in at night 
and leave before dawn. Just like vampires. A few months later, Baby Bump starts the show. Most of the women didn't know who the father was, didn't care. Because they had someone in their stomach that loved them more than that guy did. These are issues that have to be addressed. And some of these women don't address these issues. And they grow older. Still looking for love. Still looking for that person to love them unconditionally. And some of them have been alone so long that they've made up these imaginary rules that every man should abide by. And the man's looking at her like, woman, are you crazy? Have you lost your damn mind? Now, ladies, let me tell you something. A lot of you complain about the behavior of men. Most men only react to what they've been exposed to by women. Now, this is not an out form or an excuse, but let's put some things in context. A woman that has been hurt by a man may choose to hurt the next man that comes her way. That next man that's hurt takes that hurt on to another woman that he met. And she's like, well, damn, he's a jerk. He doesn't give a damn about me. Therefore, I'm going to perpetuate that hurt onto another man. And this is how that dysfunction keeps going. It doesn't stop. And before you know it, you have all of these confused and disjointed and dis combobulated people. You know, it's interesting. When I was here in Vegas, when I first got here, there was a lady I met and she told me she was married. She had two children. And I said, okay. And she says, well, I'm in the process of getting a divorce. Me and my husband are separated. All right. And so I'm thinking, okay, you're still married. You have two kids. Pending the divorce. And I'm going through and I'm trying to process all this. And she says, yes, and I'm living with my girlfriend. And I'm like, okay, girlfriend, and just as BFF. She said, no, girlfriend as in lover. I said, okay, and she's a single mom too. All right, how many kids does she have? She has three. I'm like, so you are actually managing all of these dynamics at one time. And she said, yeah, I know it's kind of puzzling, but I'm looking for a boyfriend. I said, so you're looking to pull somebody else into the cesspool of craziness. She said, no, it's not a cesspool of craziness. It's all organized. Folks, let me tell you something. When you call something as it is, a lot of people, these very people that say they don't like labels, But what they like to do is to label other people as being a toxic masculinist, a masculinity type person, or they like to classify them as some way homophobic, et cetera, et cetera. But many of these same people don't like to be labeled for what they are. So when I called her what she was, I called her about the situation. 
But see, the, the problem is with people who are hypersensitive now in this day and age, they look at a label as a personal attack and it's not. This is the very reason why black women a lot of times will call a man gay or the F word. Because they're going to take that slur, make it a personal attack. But yet they think in that same vein that they're not offending gay men by saying it. Again, double standard in our society. Right? Look at what happened to Isaiah Washington. Prime example. Now, Let's go forward. With a situation like this, she thought that it was perfectly normal. She said, how dare you criticize my situation? I said, I'm pointing some things out that would make it obvious that it wouldn't be a good choice for me to be with you. Why is that? You're married. You're pending a divorce. You're currently separated. You have two children. The other woman has three. You're her lover. And now you're trying to bring me into this. I don't see what's wrong with that. What's the problem, she said. I said, I want you to think about it for a moment. How would I fit into this relationship if I were to get in it? Well, you move in with us and she and I and you, we'll take care of you. And I'm like, and what about the ex-husband? You're still married? Oh, well, he won't have nothing to do with it. He just want visitation with the kids. I said, so that means that if I were to get with you, he would be okay with me being with his wife and visiting the kids and understanding that the kids are exposed to a dynamic with his wife being lovers to this other woman and me. And that's when she said, well, he doesn't know about our relationship between she and I. I said, oh, don't you think at some point the kids will tell him? Oh, no, no, no. I've already trained them not to tell him. And I'm like, ma'am, you find somebody else to deal with this dysfunction. This, this I'm not dealing with it. But she thought it was perfectly normal and got upset with me because she wanted me more than I wanted her. Had a girlfriend to call me up. You know, you should reconsider because uh, I see that you're a handsome man and we, uh, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Folks, people will think that you're supposed to accept their situation at face value and you always have a choice see the problem now in our society is what people are trying to do is to take away that choice and say you're supposed to universally accept me for what I am who I am because I want you and they come to you with any kind of jacked up situation and expect you to take them at face value without any objectivity it's up to you to be objective, to look out for your own best interests. They don't have your own best interests at heart. They have only their agenda at heart. You're just supposed to fit into their narrative. 
without any rebuttal. This is the reason why some of these guys are taking advantage of this transgender movement. And some of these guys, they're just putting on a wig, walking around, talking about they're a woman, and you could tell they're not a woman by their voice, sounding like a damn nanny goat. And what they're trying to do is to get access to women's bathrooms and have the same access as trans women do who have actually gone through the whole process. Because if you notice, many of the women that are not over the top and not so flamboyant and all of that, they're not the ones that are out there spearheading and and being active in all of this mess. It's the ones that are trying to fit in that don't. And that's the thing. And half of these people that are advocating this, that want to ride on the back of these folks and their movement, are going to go in there and they just want to be able to take video of women try to sleep with some of those women and they have no intention of going over and making any kind of transition. According to the CDC, there's only 1.9 million transgender people registered in the United States. That number could, of course, be broader or more. But what that does tell you is that This groundswell that you see now far exceeds that. But that doesn't mean that all these people are transgender. Some of them at that point where they're confused. Hell, you could look on Reddit and look at the post. Half of them don't know whether they've been powder burnt, butt fucked, or shot. They don't know. Trying to figure it out. The one guy wrote that he was a woman when he woke up this morning and said he felt like a dude at noon and then felt like another woman at three o'clock that afternoon. It's at a point where what a lot of these folks are trying to do is trying to say, my my dysfunction is acceptable and therefore we should make laws to protect it. If that's the case, a criminal can say, I have a propensity to rob banks, so therefore it should be decriminalized because I believe that I'm a bank robber. We can go even further than that. We could have a grocery store clerk that says, I believe that I'm a grocery store clerk, so being that I'm a grocery store clerk, I feel as though I should have the right to go into a grocery store and get anything I want because I'm a grocery store clerk. And it could go on and on. I could go into a bank and say, you know what, I believe I'm a millionaire. Teller will say, no, you're not. Oh, yes, the hell I am, because I believe it. So therefore, I think there should be a law banning tellers not to tell me that I'm not a millionaire. Where does it end? I am waiting for the day that someone will say 
the reason why I went in and robbed the bank was to save the economy from going under because I was going to save all the money so if the economy went down I could just go and release the funds and save the United States as the hero it's going to get that bizarre at some point the reason being it starts out incrementally and then it becomes ridiculous it becomes a situation where at some point society gets tired of it and they swing the pendulum back and when they do they go to an extreme measure when it happens that's what's going to happen more than likely in this next election all of these movements that are popular now are going to go by the wayside because many of these groups are going to quit funding them these organizations especially the ones that are associated with Wall Street because they go with whatever is popular whoever's winning they don't care what this democrat or republican they put their money behind a winning horse we know more than likely it will not be trump coming in back in office there'll probably be another younger moderate but the way the democratic party is going now is not that much better than what the republican party just experienced with trump what we're running into is a void of political talent the united states government just like any other government in the world needs a moderate administration the reason being a lot of these countries don't have the problems we have because what they do they take entertainment out of the political process for the most part china dev- definitely took it out of the the hands of the people and by doing that you let the government just run the affairs of the country and the people will go to where entertainment supposed to be exploited music activities those kind of things Thank you.
I remember one evening, Monica and I went to this party. It was thrown by a friend of hers. And this friend invited her family members and other guests. And it wasn't one of these uh, upscale, you know, nose-in-the-air type of events. And she and I were sitting there by the pool. And so there was this other couple talking. And the wife asked him, she says, if a person came to you and offered a million dollars to sleep with me, would you allow him to do so? Without any hesitation, he said, hell yeah, we need that money. And she asked him, she said, so that's all I'm worth to you. He said, baby, that's a million dollars. We could split that. Monica looked at me and she touched my arm and she says, I'm so glad we never had to get to that point. And what that kind of showed me was that, because if you saw the expression on this woman's face, she was really hurt by this. And the way this got started, the movie Indecent Proposal was the topic of conversation at the time. And it was interesting. The rest of the couples were like, no, I don't think so. A couple of them said, we would have to think about it, that kind of thing. And so they asked Monica and I, and we said, mm -mm, it would never be a consideration. Now, the host of the gathering, she had been recently divorced. And she said, well, if my husband and I were still together, I would pay a woman to sleep with him. And everybody chuckled because her husband was not the most uh, accommodating person to have a conversation with. He was the kind of individual that would start a conversation and you would turn to give a response and before you know it, he's walked away and he doesn't want to talk about anything anymore that he just spoke about. And he was that way in his marriage from what she had disclosed. So you run across this with people with varied value systems. This is very important because your values and your morals will define you. And if you don't have any, guess what happens? You're undefined. Some people think that's a unique trait. But even in our modern culture, we look at undefined people, the non-binary people, et cetera, et cetera, and this is no knock against you folks, but what the perception is from society in general is that you are not decision makers. You're confused. And with this, because everything in life you have to make a decision on, even if you are trying to decide whether you want to become a trans woman or not, you have to make a choice. And where many people are conflicted is they're stuck with that point of indecision where they can't make a choice as to whether or not they want to go one way or do one thing or do another.
And so with this, they actually make a state of confusion and conflict an actual existence for them. One that everyone else should interpret and accept. I'll give you a case in point for me. I only refer to a person if they've legally changed their name to that name. Now, if they prefer to be called a certain name, I will honor that if I only met them knowing them by that name that they wanted me to call them by. There was a person I knew who was a man, born biologically a man, had a family, had wife, kids. And he went on and got the sex change, remained with his wife, but he wanted to be called another name. But around me, he said, oh, you can still call me John. Because I knew him way back in the day. I tried using the, the new name and said, no, call me John still. Okay. And his wife had to go through a lot of therapy. She had to go through more therapy than he did with that change because she was stuck with the burden of explaining to the kids and her family what was going on. She wanted to divorce him. She went to counseling and she chose eventually to stay with him. And to this day, she's happy she did. And it's kind of funny. When they took the family portrait years ago, he was in his suit, wife was in her dress, kids were, and now the family portrait has him in a dress and wife's in a dress. Now, physically, he's the ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life, but he's happy. I keep telling him, I said, man, you look like a power forward for the Lakers. <laughs> Good shit. But that's the lifestyle this individual chose. Still heterosexual, still takes on the role of the father with his wife. It varies on the person's perception of themselves. I'll give an example of myself. At one point when I was growing up, I wanted to be Mr. Universe. I wanted to be that guy that had all them damn muscles and everything. Because I thought that was impressive. I had an ex-girlfriend. Her dad was a bodybuilder. And I looked at him and I'm like, I want to be like him in a way because nobody messes with him. Well, I knew I didn't have a frame for it. So what I did, I went and got this jacket and it had these sponge inserts you could put in the bicep. And I never forget one time I walked into a nightclub with that on. And the women were looking. And then the one lady started squeezing my arm. She said, what's this? And I was like, those are the muscles I wish I had. And she started laughing. But I realized that it was out of my scope of reality. And I wasn't trying to tell somebody, Hey, no, those are my real muscles. Come on, really? But what I started to realize was that that was an insecurity that I had. I didn't have the big 
upper body frame. Now, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was built a little bit, but not like some of the guys. We had a guy by the name of Smitty Dog. And Smitty, if you're listening, I'm talking about you, Alonzo Smith, down out from Alabama. And Smitty was the kind of guy, his fist was big as my head, no exaggeration. And one day we were standing there in the squad bay, and Smitty was like, come on. And he put up his fist, and I was like, come on what? He said, come on. I said, look, we not boxing right now. Oh, yeah, we boxing. I'm like, oh, shit. So here I am with my lightweight ass, and I'm up there trying to duck and move and everything. And he waited. And I saw it in his eyes. He was waiting. He said, yeah, you just fuck up one time. Let me see that chest. And so I went to swing. And when I went to swing, left my chest open. And he hit me. It sounded like a bass cannon. I kid you not. He hit me in my chest, but I felt the pain in my spine. And I was like, damn. And so I had to back up a minute. And then I found out I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hell, I'm inhaling, but no air is going in. And so I had to run around a little bit. Then I fell down. And I said, all right. I said, all right. And my legs were like, no, you need to get your ass up. We ain't got nothing to do with this. And my chest was like, you need to talk to your legs and stay down on the ground. Because you get back up, it's going to be your ass. And he was standing over, he said, come on, get up. I'm like, damn. So I got up. And then I said, okay, I'm going to watch my chest this time. So I had my fist up and everything, covering my face. And then he hit me right on my knuckles, and my knuckles hit me in the head. And I was like, damn. I was like, "Mm, mm, mm-mm-mm. But I learned. And one thing I learned from that ordeal is not to stand too close to Smitty Dog because he had them boxing flashbacks on your ass and then you got a problem. But what I had to learn was, okay, that means I got to be quicker. I got to have that speed going on because he has the advantage on strength. So in life, what I'm saying is you have to look at what attributes you have and use them to your fullest potential and understand that you may be wasting your energy on trying to convince people of other things about you that other people can call out and realistically say, that's not what it is. Don't be the fool that fools yourself. The worst lie you could ever tell is to yourself. That's the absolute worst lie. The second worst lie is to lie on somebody. The third worst lie is to lie about somebody. Fourth lie, that's the worst, is to lie to someone. In any case, they're all bad. And you have to realize that at some point, you got to have that moment of emotional sobriety where you can be honest with yourself. And tell yourself sometimes if you're confused, I'm confused as hell. I need to really sit down and think about where I need to be in life and what will be the beneficial thing for me to pursue. Because some of you, there's no no joke. Body dysmorphia is a real thing. 
but it's a mental condition. And what you have to look at is how many of you actually have it and how many of you think you have it. You know, I used to have a friend of mine. Every time something would come on TV with one of the commercials and it'd tell you all the side effects, and she'd swear up and down she had this. I'm like, if you had half the crap that they're saying on these commercials, your ass would be under a respirator. Well, I have this and I have that. I'm, have, I'm like, yeah, but you got to ask yourself, is this psychosomatic? Is it something you believe you have, but don't necessarily have it? But you've been influenced and conditioned to believe you have it. You know, years ago, there was a lady that went online and went public that her daughter was dying of all these ailments and these conditions. And she had raised a lot of money, but the fact of the matter was there was nothing wrong with that child. What she was doing was giving her things to make her believe something was wrong with her. And once they found out the truth and this child grew up and told the truth about what her mother did, society wasn't too pleasant to her. And folks, this is what I'm saying. A lot of times we self-diagnose things and sometimes we just need to look in the mirror and just really look at what we're about. Is it about our inferiority complex? Is it about us feeling in some way low about ourselves because of an incident that happened or a crisis or trauma that we had experienced? And are we acting out? And we have to ask ourselves that question. I had a friend of mine years ago that was totally unfaithful. He would cheat all the time. I had a couple of them, but this guy was like no exception. No matter who he was with, he would cheat. And it would not be a long period of time before he started cheating. He'd meet the girl, they'd go and make a committal relationship. I'd be damned if he was not cheating within the first week. Well, a lady that he had carried on a long relationship with, who put up with that cheating, finally told us what was going on with him. He had been molested by a church member when he was a young boy. And he felt as though in order to prove his manhood, a church member was a male senior member in the church. And as he saw it, going forward in life, he needed to correct that. And the way he corrected it was to constantly found himself dealing with a lot of women. So there's definitely motivations for that, and they vary. My motivation was I grew up on a college campus around a whole bunch of grown people. So I began appreciating women at an early age. I didn't know that I was going to be the pervert that I became, but that's beside the point. I went on and uh, found that I found the female anatomy very, very appealing. 
loved it. I loved those curves. Because the women were built differently. And I found that interesting. They had the rounded shoulders. The lower pelvis. And I remember the first Dominion woman I ever saw at Jackson State. I noticed she had low, wide birthing hips. And she had booty, too. I know a lot of you are saying, oh, well, Kim Kardashian got that, you know, makeup, uh, whatever, butt lift or whatever. No. Armenian women, a lot of them are built that way. Maybe you should go to the Armenian community in L.A. You'll see them. Beautiful women. Gorgeous women. You know, the thing you have to come to grips with, though, is that through it all, we're only here for a short period of time on this planet. Why the hell be unhappy? Why the hell be confused? Try to go for the best deal that you can get in life for your life. There are a lot of good and open opportunities out there for you to advance yourselves, to increase your happiness. And remember, happiness is subjective. It depends on you. You decide how you make yourselves happy. No one else does it for you. So you have to pick and choose. But one thing that I will tell you, ladies in particular, if you come off the material stuff and you get to a point of holding men accountable in the sense of saying, hey, look, all right, you know, it's all nice that you have all these trinkets and, you know, Rolex watches and everything. Let's get to the practical meaning of you. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about what drives you. Those four questions I always ask you folks. Ladies, this is how you will get through much of the bullshit with these men. To get to the facts. So that you can get with a man who's decent. And not go for the obvious. See, here's the problem for you ladies. See, women who are not into a guy. And the guy's still pursuing her. She puts him either in the friend zone or she treats him like a child. Well, when a man sees a woman coming after him only for financial gain, he treats her like a child. That's the way it works. She's like a kid that has to ask permission to spend money. And so she never gets that level of respect that a woman who he respects, gets. This is the reason why you don't want to do that. You know, you hear a lot of these uh, people talk about they want to get in the music industry, they want to be a rapper, singer, or whatever. And many of them don't realize they get involved with these 360 contracts that many people are just finding out about, but these things have been around for decades. And the reason being they just want to have that moment of being recognized, noticed, and famous and not understand 
Their fame is contingent on how long the performance of whatever they're doing lasts. And Stephanie Mill was right. You think about it. You look at the R&B songs. See, it used to be one of Kenny Lattimore, Stephanie Mills. That was R&B. Now it's Adele. It's Justin Timberlake. Because they can sell more records. It's the same thing that happened with rock and roll. We'll take your songs and we'll put packaging around other artists and we'll be able to get a broader audience. Nothing's changed with that. Little Richard, all the rest of them that used to make all that music, during that time when they wouldn't have their pictures on the album cover. And I remember back in Mississippi, when they used to call, when black songs came on, they called it race music. I remember that. Race music is what they used to call black artist music when they would play on the radio. So, what you were dealing with and what you're dealing with now is that chasing of fame has now become a situation where that person gets a $100,000 advance from the record company. They think they've done something. They have a three-year record deal. And they could go and have that three-year record deal and through that time with that $100,000, which may be more money than they ever had in their lives, they don't have an idea that with that money, they got to do a lot with it. And they got to save a lot of it. And they better hope that they could make the milestones on the rest of those albums that they've signed for. And if not, they go into further debt. And then eventually, they may have to file bankruptcy to get out of the contract. But meanwhile, they're signing over everything to the label, and they walk away with nothing but their government name. Look at what happened to Prince with Warner Brothers. He had to come up with a symbol, remember? Even though he produced his own music up there at Paisley Park, his own studio and everything, they had him over the barrel. Because the way the record labels look at it, they take a big risk on artists no matter what. And they want to cover themselves before anything else. One of the old things in Hollywood used to be when it came down to filmmaking was the carrier surety bond. A lot of times, film wasn't completed. So instead of really losing everything, the insurance company would pay out. So they could recoup the losses to a certain degree. To minimize the risk. So folks, what I tell you more so than anything, if you're living a life where you're chasing fame, stardom, and money, understand one thing. First of all, there's a very small percentage of people that make it. And many times when they do make it, they're only as good as their last album, their last song, their last movie. And then they go dormant for a while. 
There are others that have an active career. You look at people like Samuel L. Jackson, one of the hardest working men in show business. He got his start with coming to America where he got his real break, big break. And he took that opportunity and ran with it because he knew if he slacked up, he became irrelevant. And becoming irrelevant in Hollywood is death, career death. So he made sure he stacked a deck in his favor. Nothing's wrong with that. He's a smart and wise man to do so. NBA careers, you look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you look at Dr. J, you look at all of these other players, Isaiah Thomas, they maximized their careers to the fullest because they knew that, hey, after this, I got to still live. And I want to make sure that I got enough to make it with. And a lot of times, it doesn't work out so pleasantly. You have a one-hit wonder. And you're hoping that one hit will carry you through. Sometimes you may have a one hit, does well on the radio, nobody hears from you again, and before you know it, you're doing all the other odd jobs in order to make things meet, ends meet. Morris Day, who used to be with Morris Day in the time, there was a point where his music was playing on the radio and he was working at Avis Rent-A-Car. And when he would tell the people, that's my band, that's my song, they would think, oh, okay, yeah, you like that too. No, 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 you don't understand. That's me singing. I'm telling you, life isn't fair. Only people impose fairness on life. Life does not impose fairness on people. Your pursuits are something you really need to think about and really evaluate to see what's worth it, to see where you're going, to see what you're going for. And please, don't use a relationship as a vehicle for that pursuit of self-aggrandizement. It's not designed for that. I mean, if people will tell you that if pursued it in that manner, they will tell you what happened as a result. More in a minute, minute, folks. All right, folks, Um, another thing too. I remember years ago, I dated a lady who used to be a nun. That was an interesting learning experience. The one thing I got out of this was that I did not know that nuns had a jacked up haircut when they wore the habits. And she showed me a picture of her hair after it was buzzed. It was kind of weird. But outside of that, she was a very nice lady. I mean, we got along very well. 
and we dated for about six months or so. And she was going to relocate. I think she was going to Halifax, Nova Scotia, if I remember. She had a sister there, and her sister ran this uh, store. And she was going to help her out there. But throughout our time in California, we had a lot of fun. And I got a chance to really know another side of life with her. And when I say this, it was as if she basically kind of gave me the idea of why, even though she believed in the church and believed, you know, in Jesus and everything else, but why she also had some conflicting views because some of the things didn't quite measure up to what was going on in the world. So she had questions. And this was the actual thing that actually got us together, more so than anything. Now, when I met this lady, it was funny. We met in Santa Monica on the pier. There were these guys fishing at the end of the pier in Santa Monica. You have the guys that are fishing. And sometimes I'd go down there and see whether or not they caught a, you know, a big bass or something like that. And she was there and she said, well, why aren't you fishing? I said, well, one thing, I wouldn't know how to fish. And she said, oh, it can't be that hard. I said, you know, I was fishing one time, and this is true, when I was in Mississippi. They had this pond that was over there by the zoo. And I caught this fish hanging out with my friends one day. And I felt so sorry for the fish after I caught him that I unhooked him and threw him back in the water. The people got pissed off. Why'd you do that? I said, because he was struggling and he wanted to get back in the water. So I realized that for a fisherman, I was not the guy. Now, even when it came down to things like wildlife, I've always spoken to animals here and there. I don't know why, I, it's, it's a thing with me. I will speak to a dog, like I'd be walking past and say, morning dog, I don't know why. It comes out sometimes. It's part of my personality, I guess. I did the same thing when I was in Asia and walked past a monkey. What's up? Now, if he answered back in English, I knew to haul ass. Well, that's just the way it is. We all have our idiosyncrasies and our quirks. That's mine. Now, the reason why I say this is because at that point, being that she made such a commitment to be a nun, I thought it had to be a really valid reason for her to give up her habit and to, you know, walk away. And she said that it was about integrity. She had more questions than she could commit to. And so that's the reason why she stepped away. Now, I had the utmost respect for her at that point. Because she knew when she had reached a limitation in her life, she respected that limitation and she walked away from it. Many times in our lives, we don't walk away from limitations. Instead, we challenge them. And we would rather lose the battle that would cost us the war 
then to retreat from that particular battle and prepare for the next one where they could win it. This is what most smart strategic people will do. And the reason for that is because if you have a chance to consolidate your resources and see exactly what you have left, you have a better way of managing things as opposed to getting out there fighting for the death when the only thing you had to do was pull back for reinforcement and then readdress the situation. Now, we do this in everyday life with relationships. We're going to argue with our partner to get our point across, damn it, no matter what, even if that argument ruins the relationship permanently. We will go and reach for everything we can reach for emotionally to hurt that person. And a lot of times you will do that and create irreparable damage. And that individual, even though they say they forgive you, they haven't forgotten it, and as far as they see it, you have the capacity to hurt them again at that level. And they know this. And the relationship dynamic does change. Even though you think that everything is fine, that person has not forgotten what you've done to them. And we have to understand that if we're with someone in a relationship, we should treat them like we treat ourselves. And this is where we have a problem as well, because some of us don't treat ourselves so well. And so therefore, we treat our partners accordingly. And this is the reason why a lot of these people get into these relationships and wonder why in the hell this person is treating me the way they do. It's because they don't think of themselves as much. So they transfer that onto you. And you go and you try to compensate, you try to change things up, and you try to walk on eggshells and everything else in the world. And then you realize later on after you've done all these things, wait a minute, I'm the one that's made all these compromises in the relationship. I've given 75% of myself in order to cope with this person, and this person's only giving me 25 at best. So now I am doing more in the relationship to make it work than that partner of mine is. And at this point, you try talking to your partner about it, your partner doesn't see a problem because being that you put yourself in that position, they feel as though, oh, you voluntarily put yourself there. I didn't put you there. But now that you're there, that is the norm for us. And if you change it, then there's going to be a problem. That's the way they look at it. This happens when you don't call things out as they occur in the relationship. You know, I had a friend of mine and his girlfriend used to always talk about this guy at their job. Now, they were living together. And, oh, he's great, he's this, he's funny, he's this, he's that. And naturally, my friend got tired of hearing it. And he just told her one day, he says, so, have you slept with him? And, of course, that caught her off guard. She was shocked. And she says, no, what would make you ask that question? And he said, because... You're talking about him 
in such a way that puts a smile on your face, but when we talk, you're grimacing. What she began to realize at that point, that guy at her job was the guy she wished she was with. The emotional connection she had with him that she did not have with my friend. Remember I told you about the emotional affairs? That's what she was having with that guy. She hadn't slept with him, but she wished her man had those qualities. But since he didn't, she accepted the packaging that those qualities came in, which was another man. From that point forward, my friend started to realize she started to spend less time with him. She didn't find joy and fulfillment. They would go out to different places. And she just could not reach that point of sparking a smile or an interesting conversation. It became more like a routine. He took her into counseling to talk it out, took him to, her pa- to his pastor to talk it out. Nothing could resolve it. They eventually broke up. She got with the guy that she was with at work and things worked out for her. She went on and got married to him eventually. And what my friend couldn't quite understand was that throughout the relationship, you still had to work at it. Even though you had it started, it was not something that you begin and then you just sit around and just say, okay, I did that, so what else is next? It's one of those things that you constantly have to be proactive in. A lot of people don't like doing that. They want the relationship to be automatic pilot. We started up, and then everything's just supposed to go and rev on. Now, a lot of people think that when you're in the middle of a conversation with your partner, and you have those pauses, some people think that's a bad thing, and it's not. It's a good thing. Especially if you date a woman from Finland or from the Nordic countries. Because... It's more of an adequate thing. What we like to do here a lot in the States, we like to fill that dead air with a bunch of banter. And sometimes we think that, oh, if I don't keep talking, then for some reason I'll be boring to this person. But now you have to look at a couple other things too. Do you want to be with someone who gives you binary answers? Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, like they're on a witness stand? No, you don't want that either. You want them to be able to express themselves, but express themselves in such a way where it's engaging. Because see, once you have that conversation where the two of you are doing that dance, that emotional dance where there's give and take, there's speak and listen. It gets to a point where you can't wait to be with each other. And guys, let me tell you one thing about women. 
when a woman is having a great conversation with you, like over the phone, I wouldn't count texting as much because with texting, you really can't express yourself. You can give implications of what you would like to think, but you don't have an interpretive element with it, such as inflections of voice, that kind of thing. Emojis don't count. But when she's enthusiastic about not only talking to you, but she wants to be with you, that is when she's made that choice. Now, that choice that she made when she is enthusiastic to be with you is at the point where she's looking at it, okay, cerebrally, we connect. I'm at the cusp of emotional connection with you. When you connect with her emotionally, and believe you me, when it happens, what women look for is that effortless connection. They should not have to try to connect to you. When they when it's effortless, what happens then, she's comfortable. She's not cognizant of connecting with you. She's not looking around saying, okay, are we connected yet? It's a situation where it flows. And at this point, she's comfortable with you. She can talk to you. She doesn't have to worry about criticism or pushback. She can express herself. And at this point, you're not a threat to her. So the only real cognitive thing she's thinking about at that time is commitment, exclusivity, loyalty. Because what she's at a point of doing, she's at that point where she's about ready to tell you, we're going to take this next step And with this next step, I'm going to give you a portion of me that not too many other men will ever get in life. More than likely, it'll be a select few. And I've chosen you to be that person. Now, once she does that and crosses that road, her expectations of you is to meet her all the way. At this point, sex and everything else associated with her comes in the bundle. And the thing is, these types of women will not hold sex up as some kind of prize. A woman who holds sex as a prize, I will tell you more than likely, is not worth it. It's not worth it. Because her pussy may be the best pussy in the world to her. Because it's hers. And she'll throw that carrot out in front of you guys and you get on that treadmill running after it. And then after you get it, you're like, I've been bullshitted again. And the difference is this. She's doing it deliberately as a measure because she's not really into you. And what she's trying to do is to buy some time to prepare herself to be ready for you. That woman who makes that emotional connection, 
she's already there. Because she feels as though you're meeting me halfway, I'm meeting you halfway. Let's do this. But see, there's a level of emotional maturity that takes place. That woman that's still dangling her vagina as a prize, she's not emotionally mature. She's still being this stereotypical child. If you do this, then maybe I'll do that. You buy me this, then maybe I'll do that. It's like you're at a negotiating table with a five-year-old. Makes no sense. But who usually falls for these women? Guys who have awkward interpersonal skills, usually. Guys who are insecure, usually. Guys who think that this woman's the only woman in the world they'll probably ever get with. But the downside for those women who play this game is that she's gonna probably wind up getting those creeps that don't like rejection. Self-esteem so low, you don't say no to me, uh-uh. That's the downside. And a lot of these women attract those guys. Now, different subject. I'm going to read an email from Barry. And I promised Barry that I was going to give him my opinion on it. He's out of Canton, Ohio. And the following reads... I have a question for you, and maybe you can help me out with this troubling situation. I just got out of a relationship about a month ago, and there's this new girl that got hired at work. She's three months pregnant, and she and her boyfriend have split. We were talking in the break room the other day about some of the difficulties we have after relationships. I'm finding out now that she doesn't really have a place to stay. She's staying with her folks temporarily. And they really don't want any of the kids coming back home because now the parents want to buy an RV and travel the country. I'm tempted to suggest that she moves in with me. We really have a great conversation together. We get along very well. I'm just concerned about her disposition with the child's father. That's the only sticking point as I see it. I've had a chance to vet her very well, so I don't feel as though there are any other threats besides that. I would appreciate your input on helping me make this decision. Barry, Canton, Ohio. Okay, Barry, let's look at a few things, and I'm not going to make the decision for you. You're going to make it for yourself. Let's look at your tools that you have to deal with first, right? One, it seems as though she's being upfront and honest with you. A lot of women won't, so that's a plus in her favor. Two, she knows your history. You know hers at least temporarily. Now, I think I would date her a little bit beforehand, beforehand because see, here's the thing. She's, she's dealing with a crisis situation. Her parents probably want to get them out of the house, sell the home, buy an RV, and travel across the country. I get it. Um, her emergency is not your imperative. 
So if you feel comfortable, okay. But if you're doing it based on her pushing the panic button, no. But you volunteered. So apparently she had an ulterior uh, plan besides just being out in the street homeless. What I would do is find out more about her other alternative. Um, As far as dating her, because I know that's where this is going to lead. You want to definitely find out all the mechanics about the father of the child. It's still kind of fresh, still kind of new. This guy could change his mind, want to come back and have his family. Uh, You have to make sure that is no future possible threat to you. Now, what I would do is this. Throughout her pregnancy, I would get to know her a little bit better as a friend. I would not move her in with me. I would go with whatever her plan B was that she was planning on with the housing situation. I would not definitely not move her in. And it's okay to maybe have her visit once or twice. I'd be even slow on that initially until you're kind of sure that the father's nowhere in the picture. The other thing, too, that I would look at is uh, at some point she's going to take maternity leave from work. So that means that she's going to have time to herself. So you got about, what, maybe six months before she delivers? Six months for the maternity, the whole, well, a few months before the maternity leave started kicking in. <clears throat> I would say to, you could establish a friendship with her. I would keep it cordial. Being at your coworkers, I wouldn't move in on her. And I think that that's one of the problems you have with this. Because you have a lot of, you know, situations you have to navigate around the father, being that she's a co-worker. Now, understand one thing. And the reason why I don't tell you to move her in with you is because once she's moved in with you and she has that child, it's going to be very hard for you to get her out of that place if things don't work out between the two of you. So instead of going that route, Let her have the child at the other situation where she had planned on having the child. That plan B she had for that situation. You guys can still develop your relationship. And around 18 months or so, if you guys really feel each other and things are really gelling, then you could talk about moving her in, but I would make some preparatory plans prior to that so that in that way it would not be a situation where it would be a burden on you or a burden on her. So if you guys start working together in concert, for instance, and you know now that you probably, if you're living in a one-bedroom apartment, you may have to get a larger place to have a little nursery for the child, That kind of thing. Now, most men that are listening to this probably would not agree because they don't want to rear nobody else's child. We got it. Many of you want to do like in the animal kingdom when the lion comes in, he wants to either kill all the cubs or disperse them and make them rogue lions until they can grow up, come back, kick his ass, and take over the pride. Um, What you can do is instead... Look at it from the standpoint 
that if you're going and if you really are into this woman, which I think you are, um, she more than likely is going to want to have other children with you. This means that you have to consider the fact that you'll be taking care of this child and another one or maybe two more that you guys may have together. Now, it's a good possibility the father can come back, fight for custody, visitation, etc. I don't know if she's going to go for child support. You need to talk to her about that. Many times, men do not like paying child support to a woman who's living with another man. I'm just going to be honest with you there. Because when you look at it, the kid's not going to starve inside the guy's residence because he'll be liable for the child. At some point, you may want to expect for her to ask you to adopt a child. Might even want to give the child your last name, that kind of thing. Um, it depends. And like I said, it's up to your level of tolerance and what you can deal with. Now, you're going to get a lot of ridicule. Usually, ridicule is going to come from the family. There's always going to be somebody who had a better situation than you had that's going to always criticize you for the decisions you make. The reason why they do that is to make themselves feel better. It's a trade-off. It's an insecurity thing. I've had friends who have gotten married. They divorced. And the family was on them, especially men, was on them about, man, why did you get divorced? You should have stayed married to her. But yet, this same friend of mine was able to travel throughout the world and date a plethora of women, which made his family members jealous because they were stuck with who they were with. And this guy's dating these nice 23 and 24 year old women. And these guys are stuck with a woman that couldn't run around the block if you paid her. So it depends. It totally depends on what's your comfort level and what's her comfort level. So expect the criticism. Expect a lot of that. Um, you want to meet her family. I would ex I would advise you to meet her family while you guys are still friends. So by the time you guys start a relationship, you're more than likely going to have familiarity with the family and the family will probably give you that endorsement. Much easier. And they'll probably distance themselves from the child's father. It's just that familial politics that you got to play sometimes. But I think that overall, it's a nice gesture that you're doing. A lot of guys are probably saying he's a simp, etc., etc. You're going to get that criticism. But for the most part, as long as you're happy and as long as she's happy and the baby will be happy, that's all that matters, right? Everybody has their own opinions and their own points of view. But when they're not dealing with the situation... The only thing they can give you is just that, because that's all they have to go on. Just like I do from the email that you wrote. Best of luck to you, sir. Take care. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support.
If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.